Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Paul Francisco. Join us as we are pointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone, as recorded in God's holy word. And as we look at our text this morning, I want you to consider heart surgery. The heart is a very delicate and complex organ, yet the most vital to our lives. Without its function, we cease to live. Many have ideas when it comes to leadership. A heart surgeon must spend countless hours of study, observation, and clinical hours of training. Just one small hole or misfunction greatly affects a person's physical, emotional life. When it comes to biblical leadership, God is primarily concerned about character and faithfulness. In order for a man to be used by God, he must first perform heart surgery upon the man's heart. Before we go any further, let me stop and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal to us his truth through his word. Lord, we come before you looking into the mirror of the word this morning. It is especially challenging and convicting and also encouraging to know that it's not just up to us, but you, Lord, provide for us every means. We could do nothing apart from your grace. And Lord, as we consider biblical leadership, I pray, Lord, that we all could look into the mirror of your word and see that you're calling us all to live by these godly characteristics so that we would not bring reproach to the gospel, yet bring glory to your name so that the name of Jesus would be made famous throughout all the earth and you will be exalted. We pray these things, Lord, this morning, asking and inviting your Holy Spirit to come, illuminate the truth, help us to see and have hearts and ears to hear your word this morning. And we pray it all in Christ's name, amen. So last week, we saw Paul's exhortation to Titus, to put into order or set things right the things that God has called him to do. Appointing elders for the churches in Crete with his mission. But he must be careful to select men that are both faithful and above reproach. Two main central themes, again, I'll repeat from the last couple of weeks because it is so essential for us to understand what this dear intimate letter to Titus was from Paul, but also for the churches in Crete and for us today. To hold fast the faithful word of sound teaching and doctrine. Leaders are to model Christian behavior and exhort church members to live godly in such a way so that the gospel is attractive. So this morning, we will consider what an elder, pastor, overseer, all synonymous, in the surgeon's hands looks like. There is heart surgery that produces a godly man of conduct. And secondly, there is heart surgery coupled with the ability to teach as being the man that God has chosen to proclaim his word and build up the church. So as we consider this first point of heart surgery that produces a godly man of conduct, look at the text again in verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
God's word must do heart surgery with a man in order to shape and mold him closer to the image of Christ so that he would be a man above reproach. When this happens, coupled with the gift of teaching, this man can be used by God to rightly divide the word, to cut straight the truth of Scripture. Paul's letter encouraged Titus to synthesize sound teaching and godly living. Titus was to be the first among equals to help build up the church with godly leaders as we consider biblical leadership, specifically the office of elder, pastor, overseer. We must consider faithful men of godly character. To recap from last week, that gives us the context of what we look at here. The main characteristic given to men who would desire the office of overseer is that they, as God's steward, must be above reproach. They are to be stewards of God's grace. Under shepherds who carry the message of grace. Men of great character. Emphasis in scripture always deals with character qualifications. Godly men above reproach. This was so important that Paul mentions it twice. In verse 6 and in verse 7. One who is blameless. Not liable to accusation or questionable to personal character or integrity. This is a life worth imitating. And an example worth following. A model and pattern of a godly man that no one can accuse, charge, or question with any sense of credibility. Now, this, again, as I repeated from last week, this does not mean without sin or struggles. As I personally look into the mirror of the word, it is easy to recognize where I fall short. Through these characteristics mentioned, I can look through the list and go, wow, I don't measure up. But the question is, am I characterized by these things? Both the good characteristics or the ones God has said must not be true of me. Beloved, I want you to consider the same things as fellow believers in Christ. Saints who represent the Most High the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who laid down his precious life for you and for me, his bride. As weak, frail, and inadequate men, we must be first doing an internal heart surgery and ask the Lord to reveal areas that we must grow. A godly man of good conduct, good conduct should understand the need of a good reputation. I'm going to give you three things. The man, godly man of good conduct should understand the need of good reputation. Secondly, the need or the nature of the calling. Thirdly, the necessity of a balanced life. So the need of good reputation, the nature of the calling, and the necessity of a balanced life. As we look at the need of a good reputation... It is essential, not optional. Being blameless above or above reproach relates to our life inside and outside the church, in our communities and neighborhoods, at restaurants and the dry cleaners, where we shop and where we buy gas, as Daniel Aiken proclaims as he looks at this truth. This must be true of us who seek to lead God's church. Secondly, the nature of our calling. We are to be God's administrators, a steward accountable to God. We please him, we serve him, and obey him. Any man who does not understand the station in the ministry is not fit to minister. 
When things get tough, he will quit. When times are hard, he will break and run. Being a pastor during this unprecedented time is the most difficult thing for us in this lifetime that we have seen. I will tell you, beloved, as a new pastor during this time, it has personally reminded me how much grace and the Spirit's help is needed for my own life. Third thing, the necessity of a balanced life. What we're about to look at here are 11 character qualities of a man of growing out of his blameless life as God's as a God-called steward. This is not some occupation that we submit a resume and try to sell ourselves why we are the best man for the right job. Although we may see that happen and as churches consider who would lead their church, the better question, is this a man of godly character? Is this a man who loves God's church? Is this a man who is faithful to his church, faithful to his bride, faithful to his children? Is this a man of conviction for the passion of God's word because it is holy? And this is how we get to know a first-hand encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Our calling is far above and beyond our human minds. As I consider the 16-plus journey the Lord has allowed me to be on, there are many times I felt discouraged. Many times I wanted to quit. Many times I thought, I'm good at these other things, I should do them. And yet, God, Spirit, His Word, compels me to preach his word. I must sit under the weight of God's word and see it in my own life. He is performing heart surgery. I lack, brothers and sisters. I see these things and I'm greatly convicted. Yet, my heart, my joy, my love for Christ, bride, compels me to speak his truth. So as we look this morning, Paul gives us in an entire list in verses six through nine, he tells us that the man of God must be a husband of one wife, that our children are believers or faithful. They are not to be arrogant or quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, righteous, holy, disciplined, and the only skill required able to teach. We dealt with the first two of these regarding the family already. So now we're going to look at the five don'ts and the six do's of godly conduct. We see here first, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Arrogance derives from being self-centered and self-interested. A proud self-pleaser with no regard for God's will or the needs of others. Arrogance is just another form of pride. And God hates it. That is what Satan and the third of the angels were guilty of as they were cast down from heaven. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, let us not be a people characterized as arrogant or prideful. We certainly do not want to be led by an arrogant, prideful man. Rather, we should walk humbly in a manner worthy of our calling. Walk as beloved 
children. Walk as children of light. Walk carefully. This is the type of man the Lord looks to lead his church. One who walks in this manner. Second, we see here quick-tempered. We are called not to be quick-tempered. This describes someone who is easily provoked, short fuse, or prone to fits of anger. Saints, I ask you this morning, husbands, have you ever responded to your wife harshly? Do you lose your cool with your children? Do you ever yell and curse at bad drivers while out on the road? If we're honest with ourselves, many of us can find ourselves convicted of these truths, right? I know I am. We all have weak moments and prone or tempted to act in a way we're not we ought not to. However, for those men who manage God's house, we must not be characterized by this type of behavior. This is an area since returning home from combat twice, which I've had to ask Christ time and time again to give me grace. And the Spirit has given me a heart that is easy convicted. This is a gift from God. <laughs> I must return and ask over and over again for his forgiveness. In this area in which you struggle, let me ask you, beloved, how often do you pray and ask for mercy and grace? He wants you to be dependent upon him. The, the opposite of angry and quarreling, a quarreling spirit is a gentle spirit that reflects, as 2 Corinthians 10 one says, the gentleness and the graciousness of Christ. Look to Christ who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. Consider yourself, consider others more than yourself in this area. As we look at this next characteristic, it says he must not be a drunkard. This means one who is given over to drink. Now, that's important. I didn't do this in the book of Ephesians because it wasn't the context of it, but it's important for me to take a little bit of time to talk about this particular subject. Drunkenness causes one to lose his mental sharpness and sound judgment. It clouds our minds and distorts reality. We are called to be filled with the Spirit. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Spiritual warfare takes place in the battlefield of the mind. And we need every bit of our wits to be focused on the one who gives us victory over sin and death. Yes, we have Christian liberty. But should we exercise it in this area? Consider a weaker brother or sister in the faith. Many of the families have been destroyed by this problem of alcoholism. People have unjustly been killed by drunk drivers. I think of my beloved wife, how she had to grow up without a grandfather because he was struck by a drunk driver as he was changing a tire. We as leaders and Christians must live a balanced life. But then how do we respond to this character quality about not being a drunkard, especially as pastor elders. And I'm going to borrow some thoughts from the great Charles Spurgeon on this. I really thought this was helpful to think through. He says four things. Respond with charity. Secondly, he says respond with humility. 
Thirdly, he says, respond with perspective. And fourthly, he says to respond with love towards neighbor. Respond with charity. The cure for society's ills will not come from abstinence. Respect those who abstain for good of others. Befriend, serve, and live peaceably with those with views different than yours on this particular area. Then he says, respond with humility. See the wisdom in abstaining for the clarity of mind. Do not allow yourself to be given over to temptation. Realize just because you have a Christian liberty in this area, you must be wise and careful. But we respond with perspective. See, abstinence is not the finality of our faith. It does not bring us salvation. I'm convinced there are a bunch of non-drinking, non-smoking virgins that are in hell right now. Do not equate our salvation with these things. Respond with love towards neighbor. Paul through the Holy Spirit says to consider others more than yourself in this matter. Don't be a stumbling block for those who Christ has died for. Consider the sake of souls. Perhaps voluntarily abstaining to help a fellow brother or sister out. Consider that recovering addict or alcoholic that might be in our congregation. Don't let your Christian liberally hurt a fellow brother or sister. I am not making the case that you can't ever have a drop of alcohol. That's not what scripture says and I'm not saying that. But I'm also calling you guys to be wise. Think, especially you fellow brother, pastor, elder. Consider the gospel is at stake and what we do. And we are told not, we must not be a drunkard. And then we're told, or violent. Do not be a bully. An elder cannot be a fist fighter. Not given to acts of violence. Imagine if you guys were all out and you see me at Walmart duking it out with someone. Would you really want me to be your pastor at that point? Would that really bring any... Wouldn't you be ashamed? That's my pastor over here. Wouldn't you be ashamed? I would be ashamed. Not verbally or physically abusive. Okay, brothers, sisters. God knows. God knows outside of these doors here in this sanctuary area what you're like. In your home, think about that. Are you physically or emotionally, verbally abusive? I will pray for myself first, and I pray for you that if this is true of you, that God would get a hold of you in a way that he will not let it sit. You will not let it sit one more minute if you're characterized by this thing. It doesn't mean we're perfect. But do not be physically or verbally abusive. Not hurtful towards others. As overseers, we are to build up the church, not beat it down. Consider how your actions will impact the church and the gospel. And brothers and sisters, this is true of me. Standing up here, I need to sit down and receive this truth. If I'm up at this pulpit beating you down with God's word, I am not doing what God has called me to do. There's grace. See, it doesn't mean that if we ever sin in these areas that it's unforgivable. It doesn't mean that if we've ever sinned that we can't be used by God. We look to Christ. The beauty and majesty of our Lord. The one who laid down his life for you. 
and see the grace of the gospel of God. And then we're told not to be greedy for gain. Money should not be our motive. As an overseer or elder, we should not use the ministry as a money-making business. Money is not our motive. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not the root of evil, but all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Beloved fellow brother who is aspiring to the office of older, elder pastor, do you want to fight against the battle of materialism and greedy gain? Hold on to things with an open hand. Recognize that nothing we have is ours. It all comes from God. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Be a cheerful giver. If you're given over to materialism and selfishness with your money, time, and resources, ask God to help you have a heart to be a cheerful giver. Your money is not yours. Your house is not yours. Your car is not yours. Your food is not yours. Your family is not yours. They're a gift from God. Hold with an open hand. Let God do heart surgery on you. Let him show you the only thing you should be zealous for, if you want to say greedy for it, is to know him, to love him, to serve him. We will pass. This is for certain. Unless you're like Enoch or Elijah, we all will die someday. None of these things can be taken to our grave. But the hope the grace that God gives us through his son Jesus Christ is know that we receive a great treasure and inheritance beyond this life. We have one life to live. It will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Do not be greedy for gain. But six positive things of a godly man of character is be hospitable, be a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Hospitality or being hospitable is friendly and welcoming to strangers or guests. Hospitality in the first century, it was a practical expression of love not a form of entertainment. This doesn't mean you have to have a perfect, clean house and cook and an amazing meal that so many of us worry about before we ever invite someone into our home. It means you're opening up your heart and your home towards others, delighting in the gifts God has given you with others. This is not just a good character quality, but it is both a gift from God and a command from God. Did you know that? It's not optional. Yes, he tells us to be hospitable, and that's a command directly for us elders, right? But if you look other places in God's word, and I'll leave that to you, and see what I'm saying is true, God commands us to be hospitable, He tells us to be a lover of good. One who has a passion for that which is good. We help those in need, friend or stranger, believer or unbeliever, race, social status, or lifestyle should not prevent us from loving others. The beauty 
and the credibility of the gospel is being put on to display when we are lovers of good. You delight in the good things of others. Has anyone shared with you maybe a promotion of the job or something amazing happening in their life? Was your response ever like, oh, that's nice because it wasn't about you? Or maybe you wanted that job promotion? Brothers and sisters, delight, especially if you're fellow saints. Delight. If someone's having a spiritual breakthrough, celebrate it. As someone who's been so scared to share the gospel because they fear man more than God and they finally spoke the truth of the word of God with their coworker, rejoice. Praise God. We should love the things that, the things that God loves and celebrate it. This is why you have been seen over the months as we've been sharing in our testimonies. Fellow, it's been the leaders, and trust me, if you're one of the deacons or other leaders in this church, I'm going to be asking you to do the same thing. And we want to celebrate it. We want to praise God that he saved you. He's given you new life. We hear reports on the mission field or those who we're partnering of. We want to celebrate those things. We want to thank God that he's working. His kingdom is happening. Oh, Lord, thy kingdom come. He taught us to pray these things. We want to thank God for his daily bread that he provides. Then he tells us to be self-controlled. This means defined as the ability to manage your actions, feelings, and emotions. Like when you want that last cookie, but you use your willpower to avoid eating it because you know it isn't good for you. However, when it comes to the spiritual matters here, we don't have any will, right? We depend on God's will and grace. Meaning we're promoting the right passion. Not easily giving into sin and temptation. You know, James tells us that when we sin, it's because we want to sin. Paul tells us that God always gives us a way of escape. Being able to just have one drink if you're going to allow yourself that Christian liberty and being okay with it. Being able to hold your tongue when someone is speaking harshly to you. Isn't that hard to take it? It's the reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. A lot of us, including myself, would do well to spend more time listening. This is why I'm so encouraged. My dear brother John, he is such a great listener. You can listen to me ramble on. <laughs> but I'm just, the, the whole point is, brothers and sisters, we not, must not be a people given over so easily to the passions of our flesh. And we can't do this not on our own will. We have to depend upon the one who gives us the grace to do so. But if you want to lead God's church, you want to be a leader in God's church, it says it right here, we must be self-controlled. So look to the one who will give you self-control. Then he tells us to be upright or righteous, being one of integrity, just, Doing the right things. Like Nike, just do it, right? Possessing the right perspective, being sensible. To see life from God's perspective and act accordingly. And then he tells us to be holy. And if we look at this attribute of God, there's no way, there's no one who's holy but God. But there is this thing as we as believers in Christ, as friends in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as saints in Christ, in Christ, 
We are being sanctified. We are made holy. We are justified. Being just, fair, equitable, and honest in how you deal with others is this quality that God is talking about. Meaning that we are separate from the world. We live in the world, but we're separate from the world in which we are pursuing godliness. We are being made holy through sanctification, growing as a child of God. You want to know what God's will is for your life? First Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that we would be sanctified. Being committed to godliness and Christ-likeness is what God calls us to be. Pursuing a life that is untainted by moral pollution or stain. This is why the book tells us at the end of the story when Christ comes again and we're before the throne of God and how he can proclaim, well done and good, faithful servant. You know why? It's not because of us. Because the only thing we brought to our salvation is our sin. It's because the slain blood of the lamb and the blood makes us pure. The blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that keeps us tainted from moral pollution or stain. Look to Christ. Plead upon the blood of Jesus that we be a people that is holy. And then the man of God, this godly character, he's told to be disciplined. Showing a controlled form of behavior, a way of working is what he is talking about here. We have a daily routine in the pursuit of holiness. Devoted daily to the truth, practicing the spiritual disciplines. This is especially true for me, but it should be true of all of us, laboring in God's word. This is how we know Christ. This is how we know salvation, for it is the power of God on to salvation, the gospel, right? This is God's word. We cannot rightly divide it unless we labor in it, meet with God daily eat and taste and see his word. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds through the mouth of God recorded in scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit, see and delight. And then we must be a people marked by prayer. This is why, if you guys noticed, we have done quite a bit in our worship service now where we're spending much more time in prayer. We want to model this for you. We want to be collectively praying for these things, praying for one another, praying for our cities, praying for gospel-believing churches, praying to the ends of the world that Christ would be named, his name would be made famous. And then in your personal life, you need to be meeting with God. We're called to love one another. You can't do that if you don't spend time with others. We're called to love God. How do you think you're going to love God if you don't spend any time with him in his word or in prayer? Prayer is a gift for you. God doesn't need our prayers. He delights in our prayers. Prayer is not to change God's mind. He already knows what he's going to do. Prayer is to change your heart. You can't be angry at another brother or sister if you're praying for them through the blood of Jesus. Try it. Pray. You're angry with a brother or sister? Pray. Pray with a heart. Let God do that heart surgery in you so that you would love him and love others. The greatest commands given to us. We are to monitor ourselves daily day in and day out, submitting our lives to the x-ray vision, the cat scan detail of God's perfect word. We don't measure up if we look into the mirror of God's word. Just like what James said, 
We're called to look into the mirror word and not be forgetful. Hide your word, his word in your heart so that you may not sin before him. Let's go ahead if you want. In your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. I want you to see something with me real quickly. James chapter 1. We're going to begin looking at it from verse 12. And the Holy Spirit writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lies, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of this own, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. His own will brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The language here in verse 18 is the idea of giving birth. Through the word like a seed being watered, growing and blooming into something beautiful. And this is the one skill that God requires of the man of God who is to lead his church, that we must be able to teach these truths in scriptures such as this, so that we, and as you as the flock of God, are able to understand these truths and delight in him. So that's the second point, that heart surgery and the ability to teach is a qualification of an elder, pastor, overseer. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So after our Savior performs heart surgery on us as men of God, then the one he calls, he gives the gift of teaching. The Bible elevates teaching to the first mark of the church. And the church's primary responsibility, he, we must be able to teach the word and passionate about its truths. Teach the word. First line, right? Hold fast to the firm, to the trustworthy word as taught, able to give instruction, sound doctrine, rebuke those in it. Then 2 Timothy 2.2, when he says to entrust to faithful men who are able to also teach others otherwise. 1 Timothy 3.2, he says, therefore an overseer must be above reproach to the husband and one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Al Mohler puts it this way. He says, the New Testament continues to emphasize the teacher in the life of the church. Leadership is explicitly centered in the responsibility to teach. And the very act of following Christ is defined as discipleship. This, in essence, comes down to teaching one's followers as Jesus himself modeled. Think about the Great Commission. Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Our teaching must be about making disciples. And we can't exhaust that in this lifetime. The Shema, the Hebrew word for what Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7 says, And these words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. 
fathers. Every father was to be able to be a teacher. And every teacher was to tell the story over and over again, lest any future generation forgets. We must be able to teach his word and rebuke those who contradict it. Guard the flock from false teachers through sound doctrine. We are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And he's calling us to teach his word, preach his word. We are to tell the story of God's glory through all times. Tell the story of God's grace. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to shout it from the rooftops. We need to teach it when we lie down and when we rise up. Teach it to our children and mean what we preach. 1 Timothy 4.16 tells us to keep a close watch on ourselves and the teaching. To persist in this. For by so doing, we will say both ourselves and our hearers. However, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. If men are to lead Christ's church, we ought to be above reproach. And the way we lead in our homes should be a reflection of the way we lead the church. Ministers of grace who know the gospel and faithfully are committed to the gospel. Men who love God and love his precious flock. Love his word. Allowing the sake sink deep into our own hearts and give birth as a first fruit. The blossoming, the growing of that first fruit comes from God's heart surgery in us through the power of his word working in us and the Holy Spirit growing it. Love, taste, see God's goodness, his glory, his grace, his mercy, his love for you, a rebellious people, the fruit of God's redeeming love is repentance and belief. Delight in the truth that you were on a path straight to hell. And God reached down and picked you up. He took your hearts. He washed you clean. He gave you a new heart. He has loved you and he continues to love you and keep you. Such a weak man. Apart from God's grace, I'd have nothing to offer. His word is the only truth I can live by and know. Love him. Love his word. Communion with him. And so I must be an elder in the surgeon's hands with this heart surgery producing in me a man of good conduct. And by his grace, he's given me the ability to teach his word. May you flourish from it. May you delight in it. May you love it and see God's grace, a salvation. Rejoice in that. We are nothing apart from the grace of God through his word. Elders, leaders, those who aspire, do you line up with God's qualification? You know, the best men are men at best. However, the gospel of grace, which saves us, is also what sustains us. Strive to be above reproach by his grace. Saints, do you desire to be led by godly men? Pray that God would raise up men for this task. Pray for me as your pastor. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you a heart of, that would affirm such men as these. Pray that the Lord would raise up more godly men who are able to teach. Friend, 
If you're here today and you've been wounded by men in leadership, Christ is our chief shepherd who will never fail you. Turn to Christ. Repent. Believe in the one who can not only save your soul, but also lead you into everlasting life and teach this gospel of grace here on earth to you. So as we ended last week, I will end again with God's word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness in the gospel so that the man of God may be complete. I'm inserting this in there. In the gospel and equipped for every good work in the gospel. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connection Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Thank you.